This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 161, about Luke Cage, season 2, episode 5, all sold out. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to episode 5, all sold out of season 2, Luke Cage. We are Defenders TV Podcast, and this is episode 161. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek, and luckily you'll never be all sold out of Luke Cage season 2, because it's available to stream on Netflix. That was a terrible <laughs> joke. So all right, if you ever oh went to video God. shop, you know what that means. What's a video, video. show? <laughs> uh, and what? apparently the baby of this group, <laughs> I am your other fellow Defender host, Chris. Yeah, Chris, also known as Flowers, due to his uh, sort of penchant for flowery shirts and t-shirts mm-hmm. these days. They're yeah. very cool. It's like sort of the Royal Horticultural Show going on every time we do a podcast. We should do video podcasting again, though. Yeah, and I mean, the, the amount of bees that are sort of buzzing around him, it's incredible. They're not bees, they're flies I haven't <laughs> watched in two days. <laughs> no, I'm going to say, I'm going to tell the truth. I took a uh, break from one of the nights from Luke Cage, jumped into Queer Eye of Season 2, mm-hmm. and noticed, oh my God, my wardrobe mostly consists of very drab colours. Do you know what? Get me down to H&M. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it brought my style up my game is on point on fleek as the kids would say <laughs> but can you cook a poached egg with asparagus and have you filled every part of your house with ikea but made it look cool yes he is also a hipster john <laughs> <laughs> so yes and yes <laughs> i have the beard to prove it yes and the actual beard wax and molding styles to prove it Absolutely. Well, you've got to take care of your personal business. Absolutely. And of course, an important part of your daily routine is Defenders TV podcast. So I think we should get on with our spoiler-filled review. Just before that, remember, you can uh, get Defenders TV podcast. It's available on any good bullet-riddled podcast app available to you so please check it out and just search defenders tv podcast in that app or a bulletproof uh, one yeah or the bulletproof one mm-hmm. or the good or evil one or the drunk or sober one or the in fact the damned or blessed one that's my favorite i think yeah. the Doctor strange one. yeah it was pretty cool anyway derek what are some of the episode details Yep, this episode was written by Ian Stokes. Uh, we spoke about him back on Iron Fist. He did two episodes of Iron Fist, uh, Lead Horseback Stable and Felling True Roots. Uh, and he also gets a second episode in Luke Cage Season 2. He gets Episode 9 coming up as well. Uh, this episode was directed by Casey Lemons. She's directed a few films and some TV shows, uh, but this is her first Marvel directing gig. Uh, she was acting for many, many years, most famously... She was Clarice Starling's bunkmate or friend uh, back in the FBI Academy, Adelia Mapp, back in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's very cool. I-, I will counter that most famously with, she was also Bernie and Candyman people. Come on. Mm-hmm. No, no. That, no. That's where I was like, Candyman, Candyman. And if I say friend. it one more time. Also, for the uh, Jean-Claude Vendem, uh, 
people, she was Mariah Mitchell in Her Target, the classic. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Casey Lemons, I think, is a personal hero of mine now, actually. Uh, yeah, 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 definitely. I th- do think that her role in the Oscar award-winning Silence of the Lambs as uh, best friend to Jodie Foster's Oscar award-winning Clary Starling is probably still a high point. I think that <laughs> is the decapitated head of a sheep or a lamb on the cake, to be honest. Because, you know, Candyman, what's not to love? Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme just to get the rhyming going, uh, is even, you know, even better with Hard Times. And then, of course, to finish off our rhyming with Silence of the Lamb. So we have a Candyman, a Dam, and a Lamb uh, doing really well here for uh, Casey Lemons. I love Silence of the Lamb. So, yeah, that is the decapitated head of a lamb on top. Nice, nice. Let's see if this episode of Luke Cage is the new uh, decapitated head of a lamb. Uh, the new high point for her career, let's, let's say that. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Luke Cage is sued by Cockroach after his beatdown at his hands. With Foggy Nelson as his attorney, they both agree to settle out of court with damages of $100,000. Desperate to drum up quick cash for the settlement, Luke accepts an offer from a superfan, the broker Raymond Piranha Jones, as he celebrates the successful merger between Atreus Plastics and Glenn Industries. Meanwhile, Misty Knight starts to get to grips with her new robotic arm from Rand Enterprises. To help Luke out, she investigates Dontrell Cockroach Hamilton further, only to later find him decapitated in his apartment. In downtown Harlem, Mariah Dillard uses her windfall to open her family first center and invites Tilda to join the new legitimate family business. However, there is talk of the disappearance of Atreus CEO Mike Higgins, and Shades begins to notice the absence of one of his henchmen, Ray Ray. As Mariah holds the opening ceremony for her centre, and Piranha's party starts up, both are gatecrashed by Bushmaster. As Luke prevents the kidnap of Piranha by the stylers, Mariah cuts the red ribbon, only to be served with a red message threefold. Ooh, nice, nice. I think we all might be a little bit giddy on this episode and i think that's because this seems to be a little bit more of the comedy of luke cage coming out in this episode i think there's a little bit more of the fun side of luke cage uh, throughout this episode what do you think definitely i think there's some lighter moments in yeah. here and i think that's really courtesy of piranha um and obviously luke having to um get this cash to pay off and settle out of court with with cockroach mm-hmm. and it was it was it was pretty good i i enjoyed it but still there's some uh pretty dark uh aspects to this Absolutely. this episode especially with the ending which yeah. is fantastic of course of course but i think there's there is a little bit of a lightness in the marvel comics with luke cage sometimes it gets a little bit lost when you have a, a series as serious as the show has been in the past so kind of nice to see some of the humorous elements coming in uh, will we get into bullet point number one Definitely cockroach presses charges. Yeah, so the end of episode four there, we have some guys serving Luke Cage with the the court papers, mm-hmm. uh, only for us to find out that it is this despicable cockroach um, as he is really acting up here in the lawyer's offices. Um, with... Which lawyer is that, we ask? 
It is good old Foggy Nelson. Franklin Foggy Nelson. Yeah. And I like I like that Luke is actually calling him Foggy here. Yeah, he's our avocado in law. And it so he is now our second Claire Temple. Mm-hmm. He is our second connective tissue across these. And it was great to see him in Defenders getting Luke out, seeing him in the last Jessica Jones season. It was great to have him and see him in these different points because yeah, it makes sense. They, mm-hmm. They're connected. But additionally, they're united in grief. And yes. that's one of the bits I like that is being kind of brought out here where he starts going, I'm not an advocate of this, but I'd suggest you wear a mask. Yes. And you get this fantastic quote from Luke, i.e. Mike Coulter going, I'm 6'3", black and bulletproof. What's a mask going to do? I was just like, yeah. oh, my God. Do you know what? They should have had a montage there where he's trying on, at least trying on, like, different masks and things like that. And everyone's just like, yeah, no, it's still not you. <laughs> that, that would have just brought the perfect comedy element in. But And also, I love 80s-style montages. I, I know, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think it's really fun. Like, I love this idea that, you know, obviously Luke Cage in the comic books is not a mask wearer. He's not a character that wears a mask. And I love this explanation of why he wouldn't. It makes total sense. Why the hell would a six foot three guy who's bulletproof, everybody in the whole town knows he's bulletproof. Why do we wear a mask now? It's way too late. If he was ever going to do that before, he needed to go Black Lightning style and do it from day one when he started out, you know? Uh, it was never going to be able to to get a mask on now and nobody know who he is yeah but i mean as well even foggy um like is he the best lawyer the like okay i know they want to settle out of court but basically we have a guy who has no job at the moment and he kind of wrangles a hundred thousand dollars well i think the point really is is quite quite well made from foggy while sitting at the table as Luke breaks off a half of it, showing his anger. Uh, Foggy kind of goes, do you know how much this would cost you if you went to court and showed everybody how angry you are and how aggressive you are? You would be totally taken down. All your earnings for life are gone. You'd be back in, back in prison. Uh, if that's, if that's the way you treat a standard conversation, which isn't even a courtroom. And of course, it basically propels Luke into having to essentially ask for money for the work that he does okay at least initially with piranha it is an appearance fee Mm -hmm. um but ultimately then he sees where he can interject and you know we'll come onto that in one of the later points Mm -hmm. so it's a good motivator for uh ultimately getting to a point where we see that heroes for hire element coming in. Yeah, yeah. This is just Luke Cage for hire at this stage. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But again, we have Donovan back once again, representing a horrible person in the city of Harlem. Uh, Donovan just really makes his money out of representing really, really bad people, doesn't he? (laughs) This is kind of his whole MO. He's got a a book full of, okay, well, I can't represent that guy because he's clearly innocent. I have to represent this guy because he beats his wife, his kid, and got beaten up by the hero of Harlem. So I've got to represent him. Yeah. (laughs) I think what we're going to end up finding is Donovan. There's more to Donovan. Like there's this secret cabal of evil lawyers. Like the Hydra of lawyers, maybe. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's just more. Somebody's got to make the money. I might as well do it. He always seems yeah. to get his money out of it, you know. Um, but really great to see Foggy Nelson uh, working with Luke Cage again. Um, I kind of like their new relationship. This this idea where Foggy's kind of kind of trying to play up to Luke a little bit, you know, telling him he does have us in his past. He has a bit of a rap fan in him. Um, <laughs> I love that. Effectively, he mistakes. 
Luke being shocked at the fact that he's a rap fan with Luke being disapproving that he's a rap fan, if that makes sense. So he tries to make it up a little bit more to him going, oh, I've got a hoodie in my closet. I used to wear a hoodie when I was in college kind of thing. You know, he's still trying to make it up to Luke. And Luke's just looking around going, I don't care what type of music you listen to. You're not my type of guy. We're not going to hang out. We're not friends. Can you just sort out this problem, basically? Ah, but I hope they do become Of course. Friends. Not be friends. <laughs> um, I actually thought for a second, before they, they, they signaled the $100,000, um, in my head, I was 100% they were going to ask for Pops Barbershop. Right. Because, okay, yes, money is a good thing, but based on everything that's going wrong for Luke, I was like, they'll ask for Pops and he'll lose Pops. He'll be homeless. The homeless right. hero for hire, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And don't we find out in this episode that actually he will be homeless in a few weeks' time? It's He's only able to stay in Pops for about two or three more weeks because there's a couple of weeks left on the lease, is what he tells to Misty. So yeah. that's not his home. He's not. A, if Pops was around, he'd be told to take a hotel room. He's not supposed to be living there. He's just there because he has nowhere else to go right yeah. now. So he is kind of homeless, just happens to have a roof over his head because... The lease has been paid for a little while. And to be honest, there aren't that many haircuts happening in Pops Bar no. at the moment. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, it, this is kind of where I noticed it, where I'm kind of thinking, it would have been nice to have kept it as a working barber still. It still mm-hmm. had that vibe of people coming through the door, but it is simply now where Luke sits and recovers, laments, or Bobby Fish would have come in and done something. Yeah. There's no um, hair cutting going on. And it's kind of like to keep Pop's Barbers alive, that spirit of Pop alive. Yeah, yeah. Have it as that that walk-in center where you get a haircut as well. You know, it, it is like Mariah's um, family first center. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's done over a haircut. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and they're hugely important. Like Barbershops are hugely important, as we saw in season one, that it's hugely important to the community to have this place to go to. Two things about that really quickly. Uh, did you notice Misty Knight's look around the room when, when he said uh, the lease is going to be up in this place in a couple of weeks' time? Could this be Misty's base of operations when she becomes P.I. Misty or if she becomes P.I. Misty? That's one thing I was thinking. Secondly, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> secondly, Luke could probably pay this hundred grand debt in the amount of money he's putting into that swear jar over the last couple of months. Uh, we've only seen yeah. the swear jar used twice uh, so far where he's putting money into it, but I'm assuming that's been used almost every day since the start of the Defenders. <laughs> no, I'm actually, I'm, I'm with you on this, but I, I think there's two things. I think Pops is, is not long for this t- world. Mm-hmm. I, I question whether I want them to mirror the last season where Pops' gets destroyed. Yeah. Well, I don't think they'll destroy it. I think he'll lose it. Mm-hmm. So someone will buy it out from him if the lease is nearly up. Yeah. Uh, or t- something like that. He will no longer be a tape. And then I think we may get Danny gifting it back. That being said, wasn't it in Power Man? Wasn't his original, his original H headquarters like an old cinema i think i remember something like that where it was an old movie theater was there the heroes for higher base so i'm like they could go down that route i i like the idea with misty she brings up what about danny Mm -hmm. i think that's what they're gonna do but i think he'll lose it for a couple of days in the show and then someone will come in but they are echoing last season well that's it there's nothing like a bachelor 
multi-billionaire um, as a friend. Get yourself out of a lot of trouble with that. Well, maybe, <laughs> but Luke's never going to ask him for money. There's no, no way absolutely that that's no. never going to be on his side. If Danny buys it for him as a birthday gift, maybe he can't refuse it. But I can't imagine Luke going, oh, I need a roof over my head. Oh, I've got this friend. He can pay for all my stuff Abs- for no, me. No, absolutely. Never but, I mean, it. Misty makes, you know, a valid point, mm-hmm. to be honest. And, I mean, I think speaking of a man having to get paid here, I think on to bullet point two um, with with Luke Cage. You know, he's got to get that hundred thousand dollars um i just love the way this goes this to me was the heart of this episode oh absolutely through it i absolutely loved piranha i really got into piranha in in this episode you know he's kind of being this sleazeball up in mariah's office or Mm -hmm. having a drink with mariah you're kind of thinking he's you know he's dodgy but then we get to meet the man he's this huge Luke Cage super fan. He's got all this memorabilia. Um, it's not creepy at all if you look at any of our rooms. It looks kind of uh, like yeah. a yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's not creepy at all having all this thing devoted to one person. Uh, but, you know, I really enjoyed just hearing about him. Okay, he gets a little bit stockbrokery in the party. He's, yeah, he's a bit of a nightmare still. But I enjoyed seeing this side of Piranha. I like the fact that, you know, he's getting paid way over the 100000 So, you know, Luke Cage is making a nice little tidy profit here. Mm-hmm. Uh, no thanks to Foggy. He was, like, saying, go for 50000 I know, as if he like, was going to be able to find somebody else like Piranha within the next 20, 24 or 48 hours uh, so that he can pay this bill. Why wouldn't he start at hundred grand and maybe make some more? But as Foggy says, if I knew anything about money, I wouldn't have five-figure uh, deaths to my name you know so uh, so i like that i like that too i love the moment before he chooses to go to piranha where luke is going through all of his other options um which is just hilarious <laughs> yeah. firstly foggy calls him up and he goes right i won't do porn i'm not an escort i'm not gonna do that and foggy's kind of going um i wasn't thinking about that at all you know <laughs> and then there's the tv show the reality show that possibly luke could be part of which is bulletproof versus the beast <laughs> and they want him to fight a shark as part of the season finale uh absolutely hilarious stuff and then unfortunately we hear that the nike deal has fallen through what we saw back in episode two that there was a nike scout out there looking for somebody to sponsor uh that deal has fallen through because of him getting knocked out by uh by bushmaster um so that's sort of that side of his life out unfortunately uh, and he makes the call to see if he can go pl- go play professional sports and quite obviously uh, the nfl are kind of going well if you play for us then we're gonna have to have uh, other superheroes on the other nfl teams because we can't have just one superhero on one team uh, that wouldn't be very fair so yeah see that i'm assuming we're all in agreement we want to see Luke fight a shark, but starting with, uh, what was it? Starting with a honey badger. Yes, a honey badger. Yeah, that would be cool. I want to see Mike Coulter fight a honey badger. Well, Luke Cage, maybe not Mike Coulter. I don't think he has any kind of superpowers. But we could have seen him fight a piranha, of course, in in this episode. Because, again, we have the reference to the shark from Piranha, where he's like, you know, Wall Street is made of sharks. Um, Although I always thought it was wolves in terms of, like, the wolf of Wall Street. Street, But... Um, I've heard sharks. And again, this was this was a nice moment where he's like, you know, I learned everything from my dad. Keep a small operation, but we're successful. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's still probably as dodgy as hell, but nonetheless, I kind of liked um, the whole thing. I loved his assistant as well that welcomes Luke in <laughs> and then gives him, you know, this package. And I have to say, I thought it was going to be the tiara and the 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 70s Luke Cage vibe mm-hmm. outfit again. Um, and instead, it's a fairly trendy Carhartt green hoodie. Full of bullet holes already, though, is the yeah. problem, isn't it? Um, but it is very similar to his regular Carhartt hoodies that he's been wearing all the way through the season. It's just the one with the yellow uh, trim on it um, that he got shot in last season. But yes, she is the most polite personal assistant ever. I love the, uh, oh, he said you'd say that. It's in your contract. <laughs> <laughs> really, really good moments in there. Uh, but yeah, we see the party when, when Luke has to come along. I love his reaction to having to cosplay. As, as you say, John, his, uh, his really bad reaction to being told what to wear is a, a good little moment there. Um, but then he starts getting treated like a pet as yeah, the party goes on. Um, there is a nice moment, at least, to save Mike Coulter's career at signing at conventions um, when someone comes up and tells him how much Luke Cage means to her. He does sign willingly, really happily uh, signs for her. Everybody else at the party that just walks up and starts taking selfies with, uh, of him, uh, he seems to just want to push them out of the way. Smashing bottles over his head. Yeah. They, want to, they really want to test that bulletproofness. That, absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. That was really tough. And then it turns into a YouTube video, effectively, that, that this guy <laughs> was allowed to smash a bottle over Luke Cage's head. Yeah, and it, but I think the interesting thing here as well is ultimately the party gets hijacked here. Mm-hmm. Um, but leading up to that, we, we're kind of being told that the Jamaicans have gone quiet in, in Harlem and in Brooklyn. And of course, in the previous episode, we see that that warehouse, everyone's, um, moved out of there. But there is, there's this sense that Bushmaster and, and his crew that they've all kind of abandoned Harlem. They've moved out. You know, Mariah thinks that ultimately he's gone back to Jamaica mm-hmm. after visiting her. Um, but then this is where we get that moment um, where a lot of different clues spread liberally through this episode uh, begin to sort of show themselves uh, as the Stylers or the Yardies make their move against Piranha. They want to kidnap him. Mm. Yeah, I really enjoyed the, the, the overall kind of bar party scene. Um, we get our obligatory reference to the green guy. Mm-hmm. Even if if the uh, on ice in the last episode was not a direct reference to uh, Captain America, this definitely was a direct reference to the Hulk. Yes, it was. Um, but it's also interesting to know, if we think about it, the Hulk hasn't been seen in like two years mm-hmm. since Ultron. Basically, he's they're good to know that they're still people still think about the Hulk. Oh yeah, even though he's been he's he's Ragnaroking it up. <laughs> well, New Yorkers definitely he had a big impact on them. So uh, from the incident uh, many yes. years ago. So yeah. What I didn't like was Prana straight at the end with the gun. Like that that was really oh, yeah. Just like you're gonna hurt someone, and then the, just the what he goes. He basically calls him, you're my pet, yeah, something along yeah. like that. I was like, oh my god, Luke Cage is just going to finger tap him again. Like, <laughs> it's just going to be like, dink, that's, you're down. But I know what he meant, like, I, you can see there was that one second. And then I really enjoyed that piece where it's like, you have the two Jamaicans. We've only ever seen one Jamaican to that point in the party. And then suddenly a second one comes out of everywhere. Um, although, why does it take Luke 
so long to get down the stairs. So we see Piranha getting pulled out mm-hmm. uh, by the two Jamaicans, and it's taking a bit of time. Uh, they, they get out, and Luke looks around, then runs after them. Uh, and then they're really quickly out the door and into the car, and it's like, Luke, did you run up the stairs and then back down the stairs? Uh, <laughs> no, I think I think there's that moment when uh, Luke and Shades team up to protect everybody else that's at the party from the other people that are attacking, the other people that are shooting, right? Isn't that the scene you're talking about? Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought they kind of had, you know, immediately just put their differences to one side just to either protect themselves and then also to protect... Uh, the other guests at the party. And while that's happening, Piranha's being taken outside. Okay. So Luke, Luke catches up because everybody in the party is pretty much safe by the time he's leaving. Okay. I suppose the way I saw it was Piranha yells for Luke. Luke looks around. Shades takes out the other person. Mm-hmm. Cuts to people, the two guys pulling Piranha outside. Yeah. And I'm like, well, Luke pretty much... Could have just taken off after Shades takes care of that guy. I see your point. I see what they were going for. But in my head, I'm like, Luke just like walked. He casually strolled down the stairs. I think, I think also <laughs> that might have been a little bit of it. Remember, he was used as a bouncer by this guy uh, earlier on while he went up with two women to have some coffee. Um, he was a shot was taken at him on stage, and the the gun was being offered to everybody else in the crowd. I think he slightly didn't care what happened to Piranha, but because. It was the Jamaicans take a piranha, then he kind of had to go after him. Um, so I think yeah. it was slightly more leisurely than you might have been if, say, Misty had been kidnapped by the Jamaicans. Um, possibly. Maybe he was kind of going, eh, piranha might be dead by the end of the stairs, but at least I can get the Jamaicans quickly, you know? <laughs> exactly. And the great thing is, is that his revenge, if you want, uh, against piranha is that all of a sudden, um, if you want protection, you've got to pay for it, and it's mm-hmm. $300,000. So uh, really cool uh, that that happened. I think moving on to bullet point three as yeah. well, and we've, we've kind of hinted at it. You know, Shades um, was at the party as well. We see him and, and Luke hook up, but he is kind of making a bit of a play in this episode. You know, Shades wants Harlem's paradise. Mm. He, he's kind of putting himself forward here um, as being a bigger part of Harlem because he wants a bigger part of Harlem's paradise, I think. Right, right. It suddenly seems that with this merger going through and the idea of all this money, that Mariah and Shade's objectives, what they actually want, are kind of diverging slightly here. Yeah. And Shade's almost doesn't want to leave that part of his life that he's built up to some extent. Yeah. Whereas Mariah wants to just get the hell out of there and she's absolutely focused on her family first center. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think he's kind of making a bit of a statement to Mariah. Actually. I think he's kind of saying to her, if you want out of the life, well, give me Harlem's paradise. There is drug connections here. There are gang connections here. I'm taking this. If you really want to get it, get away, then you do this step but do you really want to get away? I think he's kind of posing the question by offering to take Harlem's Paradise offer. Um, it's it's almost like, I know she won't leave me, but if she does give up Harlem's Paradise, then I know she's serious about moving out of the life. Yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from that. Yeah, no, I do. Yeah, I don't think he really wants it. I think he's just saying to her almost as a test, if you want to give up on me, 
and you want to give up on a relationship and you want to give up on the, on the life, then you also have to give up on Harlan's Paradise, which he knows she's probably not willing to do. Yeah, it's laying down the gauntlet to uh, to make the absolute definitive choice. Exactly. What does she want to do? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was surprised she said no. Oh, really? Because in theory, it's giving her the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Shays takes the shady side of the business. She goes into the light uh-huh. side of the business. Um, which I thought they that's the way they were going. I think Shades wants Paradise because he does feel such a connection to it and to the to the community and things like that. I think when they lose Paradise based on her putting it up as collateral, yep, that will strain things even more because they lose then the connection to the life. They lo- they're losing their lieutenants. They're losing. They've lost their gun business. Yeah. Harlem will no longer be theirs. And after what happens later on in the episode, even the light side of Harlem may not be theirs. Yeah. So it's starting to get how much can you strain a king and queen's relationship before it breaks? And I think what what they're trying to do is Shades thought they were going to be king and queen of Harlem. Mm-hmm. They would rule the, the underworld of Harlem together. I, we get all that lovely imagery again in front of the, the painting and things like that. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing throughout this five episodes is Mariah's Queen Bee. Mm-hmm. She does not consider Shades her king. Maybe consort, but not king. Right. Like, she's still ordering him and telling when to go, what to do, blah, blah. And she, but then she ropes him back in and her the kind of knowing that there is a relationship there. Yeah. So, that's what Shades thought. I think she'll break and I think that will come out and that will cause the full split. Yeah, absolutely. She'll be like, I was the queen. You are nothing. Mm -hmm. You are my bodyguard. Like, she'll do that tirade at him and that will then take another piece from the Stokes. Maybe, maybe. I've just never thought that she'd give up Harlem's Paradise. I never thought that was on the table for her. Uh, she's spoken in the last episode about how much of the history of the Stokes is involved in this. And regardless of the fact that she doesn't want to be called Mariah Stokes, that is still in her DNA. She talks about it so prophetically almost in the later scene we're going to talk about. She talks about the history of the Stokes family and what got her to this point. And I feel like Harlem's Paradise, yeah, there are backroom dealings in there, but the actual club itself is a highlight in Harlem. It's a center. It's a hub of Harlem, much like the barbershop was, um, as we mentioned earlier on. It's something that people come to and flock to, and she's very proud of it. And I feel like it's one of the only things of the Stokes history that she's kind of proud of, uh, that it's been there so long and she'd never wanted it out of her family. So the only way that Hanan could have gotten this is if he got down on one knee and said, if we get married, can I also buy the club from you? Uh, I think that would be kind of it, that it would still stay within the family. She's never going to sign this over uh, to somebody else. But she did kind of sign over Helen's Paradise to Piranha as part of the deal for the stocks and shares that she got. So maybe she's put it on a little bit of a, uh, but a was- dangerous, precarious place. But as we mentioned before, she doesn't feel this deal is dangerous or precarious. She may feel if she signs it over to Shades that it's more dangerous to give it to him or sign it over to him than it is just to put it on a little bit of a gamble. Yeah, I mean, she put it on as collateral, so it's the value of that club set against uh, what she needs to borrow. Mm -hmm. So she's not sold it, but it's at risk Mm -hmm. if 
there is money owed. And I suppose that's the thing. You know, the last episode, we kind of got the sense that, you know, Shades was not trusting a piranha. Um, and, you know, was this money real? Was, was this paper money that Piranha was promising to, to Mariah absolutely real? The sense I got from this episode was that it was more real than it had been previously. I that agree, maybe yeah. she had cashed some of that in. It was the fact that Piranha was doing this big party at his office. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like suddenly he was one of the people that had disappeared, you know. So we see that um, Mike Higgins, the the CEO of Atrius Plastics, after this deal, um, has disappeared. Yeah, but Piranha hasn't. So. I don't know. I kind of got that sense that there's maybe a bit of money coming from this deal that she is actually seeing because as well, she's put it, some of it, it would seem into the center that she's looking to open mm. uh, in terms of the family first program. So it's it's kind of interesting, but I, I, I still think it's not a done deal. Because Absolutely. I think that is yeah. exactly where Bushmaster and his right-hand man are going for, given the little birdie and um, finding that information out about the Atreus Plastics deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I like Now it, the money is a lot more real for me. The scene where we see her look at her bank account on her phone, there's a couple of million, a couple of hundred million, I think, or at least saw one, two was the first figures in her bank account. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so pro- at least 12 million, maybe 120 million. Yeah. Now, it's in her, that looks like her current checking account. <laughs> I'm like, all right, grand. It's still ones and zeros, and Pran has power of attorney, so yep. blah, blah, blah. He can take that. But I was like, okay, it's, as John said, it's more real now than it was last episode. Right. Um, I still, I still think I probably side with Comanche and uh, Shades commenting that it's not paper money, it's not real money, uh, it's just digital money. Those numbers can appear and disappear just as easily as they did the first time. We'd like to clarify that uh, Derek does sleep on a bed of money, mm-hmm. just in between them. That's his bank. It's the all mattress coins, is yes. exactly yeah. <laughs> and I, I think as well, just quickly before we move on to the next point, you know, in this moment where Shades is asking for. Uh, Harlem's Paradise to buy it from Mariah. There is this moment then where it is, has anyone seen Ray Ray um, who hasn't turned up for work? And yeah. again, all of a sudden, there are a few people who are absent. They've not shown up to work. Um, there's talk on the streets that Mike Higgins has disappeared as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's a few things here uh, where we're kind of like going okay, how does this fit in? What's happening? And certainly given that we've also been told of the kind of clear out of the Yardies gang as well, that they've suddenly gone silent. So, you know, things are starting to, through this silence, get a bit ominous. Uh, Mm -hmm. What's going on? Just one of the one of the really quick thing I wanted to say about Shades. It's kind of really interesting his interaction with his uh, henchmen, for want of a better word, the people around him. They all seem a little bit more disrespectful than we've seen with the mob bosses in the past, the people that lead them in the past. They have that moment where he's kind of telling them what to do and they're kind of looking at him as if he's just another one of the gang. And Shades is known to be very powerful. I'm wondering if the relationship with Mariah has also had a real impact on his rep within this this crew, this group of people. It seems to have had a really bad effect on how they treat him and their interaction with him. 
hundred percent. I this is Comanche two if you will. Comanche's going like making these jokes about Mariah. Now Comanche can because he was in the joint with Shades. Mm-hmm. Mariah has been very much seen as the 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 queen. Yeah. She is she is in control. Shades now is just another henchman, and that's kind of what. We're seeing that his power is being eroded yeah. by this. But it even feels worse than that. It even feels like he's been pushed down the rung even further than any other leader of this kind of crew. You know, you'd expect he's giving orders, regardless of the fact that Mariah's above him or beside him. He's still giving orders to this group who seem to be just disrespecting him now. But I even think it's that Shades can't maybe handle the separation that Mariah makes in her life in that, you know, she's still kind of up with him in the bar mm-hmm. but then she needs that separation from that part of her life with regards to her center that she's about to open in harlem in, in that she wouldn't expect shades to be there because it would pose too many questions and it's the same with the the breakfast that she had with her daughter tilda and it's like you know she's trying to distance herself for her daughter and then having shades turn up looking ominous uh, scowling broody and threatening isn't going to help and it's like he can't necessarily handle with that compartmentalization that mariah does so well she is a politician after Mm -hmm. all and i think that's an another element of this as well yeah yeah and from one person not being able to handle their emotions and compartmentalization. Let's go on to bullet point four, mm-hmm. which is Misty's trying to get a handle on things. That's as close as I could get to a pun for a new hand. Right? It's a new arm. <laughs> True. Yes, Misty does get her brand new arm from Rand Industries. We see her going in, getting all the testing done. I just want to clarify, we did joke in the last episode, and I realized when I was editing the podcast that our, our fellow defenders might have thought we were a bit crazy about what we thought a new arm for Misty would entail. I think we kind of joked about the fact that she would have some weapons, maybe a rocket launcher in there. <laughs> that was a total joke. We know it is just a an arm that allows Misty to do the things that people with two arms do. do. This wasn't going to turn into Claw's arm from Black Panther. It wasn't going to be something like that. This is simply an appendage that allows her to do the things she used to be able to do beforehand. It, it was never going to be some super researched th- piece of Stark tech yeah. at this time. It's true. Okay, yeah, we were 100% joking. That being said, <laughs> Clark Gregg's arm in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. has a frigging shield in it. That's right, yes. Right now, it is a prototype arm. Yeah. Over time, it may evolve. It still needs a paint job as well because she needs to paint it the gold, misty gold. <laughs> yeah. This I, is just I, first test. He, he does say, don't worry, Misty, it'll get better. We're just testing to make sure you can pick things up at the moment. It's yeah. quite important that she gets all that first before she gets uh, but, a rocket launcher on the on her arm. But the, the research guy was basically trying to say it will get better in terms of how the nerve endings in, yeah, in, yeah. in the top of her arm link in with the the rest of this robotic arm. Uh-huh. I think Chris said something that, you know, Rand Enterprises isn't really that well known for its tech department, or we've not seen one yet. And to be honest, from this arm, I can see why. Um, 
And I'm really hoping that it is just a prototype because the fact that really you could spot her hand in a black glove underneath some of the stuff, it was just like, uh oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it looked a little cheap, to be honest. And um, given the billions that Netflix are probably getting in, I would have looked for something a bit more. So I'm at this moment in time thinking it's a prototype. Okay. Um, certainly. But the, the, just at some moments, you could see that it was the hand underneath that. You could see that it was her hand. Uh, and it was, ju- it just took me out of, of the fact that they had done the stump so well in terms of the CGI. I thought it was really good. So I was a little disappointed with, with this arm, to be honest. I thought it was a cool moment. I certainly wouldn't take that away from Misty getting her robotic arm. You're right, Chris. It's not gold either. So I'm hoping that it is a prototype that Danny Rand effectively blings it up a bit um, over time and that this is kind of first prototype, testing it out, making sure it works, and probably even that Misty herself looks at it and goes, I need an upgrade. I'm with you. The very first time we see it, it basically looks like she's put her arm in a black <laughs> glove and they just put some additional plastic on it. And you can see the outline underneath. As you said, you did such a great thing with the the actual stump and uh, digitally removing yeah. the arm on parts. I was like, do you need to do that again? In my head, I'm like, why not keep her wearing the green sleeve and then do a cable on do you remember when deadpool 2 the original trailer mm. and they had the the green arm yeah. and they, oh we have we'll add that later in post that i was expecting a deadpool 2 level cable arm that was an 80 million dollar movie that's a little more expensive than a tv show yeah, on netflix i said to a degree <laughs> yeah. to a degree i mean like i think it's better looking than any prosthetic arm i have ever seen in real life Yes, because it's not a real prosthetic arm. It doesn't actually yeah. really need to function. Mm-hmm. But Well, I think what we're looking at is the gradient above what we see in real life and what we see when, in this show, there is a company that has billions and billions of dollars and some of it's being directed towards making a prosthetic arm for Misty Knight in the show. But I think you're right. I think we will have this arm replaced in future. I think it, all of all this, once again, this is about the emotion of Misty having that moment where she's able to pick up a cup of coffee again. Um as she says, I hope it does a lot more than this in future because I need something more. I need to be able to write with this thing. I'm a, I'm a writer. I need to be able to play basketball again in future. You know, that kind of stuff I think we're going to see as the episodes go on. But again, I'm really happy to see this in episode five. I have known we were going to get the arm this season, early leaks of photographs. But once again, I had thought this was going to be something that was going to happen in episode 12, episode 13 of the season. This arm was going to come out. So it coming out this early in the season does make me feel we're going to get upgrades. We're going to get a different version of it by the end of the season. I mean, I hope so. But I really enjoyed Misty and and the way Simone Missick, you know, her portrayal of getting that movement back was absolutely fantastic. As I say, it just then suddenly took me out the moment because I could see the hand. Um, and I, I think you're right. Yeah. But SFX these days, you know, you see it with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You can see it with Gotham. Uh, they can do really good stuff within the budget of a TV production. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that's an excuse, uh, to be honest. Uh, but I, I really like the fact that she got her moment with her robotic arm uh, and that was really, really cool. And seeing that moment, as I say, where she's 
picking up the the mug. She's now kind of getting full movement. You see her getting better and better. Um, and then, you know, we have this also fantastic element of Misty's storyline in this episode where, you know, she's getting really guilty uh, because of Scarf and him planting stuff. You know, she's starting to question her involvement with his investigations. Did she really know at the time? Was she then complicit? And it all comes back because, you know, she's sat there um, she's hearing that Luke has been taken to court or is at least having to settle out of court because of Cockroach uh, suing him. And then when she goes to confront him, you know, at the end of the day, Cockroach is a cocky little bastard. He's just being so, so smug towards that. And, you know, she's just completely pissed off there as well that um, she may have been complicit in the Absolutely. fact that, you know, he's out now. He is suing her friend and, you know, he has the nerve, the goal to sit there and really just give her back chat mm-hmm. uh, straight to her face. And our second big cameo for this episode, or guest star for this episode, really, is Frank Wally. Uh, great to see him back after yeah. season one. I really wasn't expecting this. I like that they've done this as flashbacks for Misty. It's it's good to keep uh, that concept of how she, how she was in the previous season and how she was in the past in uh the Harlem PD, how she learned to do what she does. Um, Scarf obviously had a huge influence on her because she was her, his partner for, for so long. Uh, but I like how they played this. I like how the scenes played out between the two of them. Um, where, again, as always with Scarf, it does feel like he's saying the right thing and doing the right thing with Misty. And then he just has that moment. We see the actual impact of his son killing himself with Scarf's gun. We see the impact that that had in Scarf and the change it had in him. That's that's the reason why he went over the edge and started just going out to make the money for himself rather than doing what the police uh, wanted him to do. That was his turning point. So we got to actually see that in this season, whereas that would probably have helped soften Frank Wally's character of Scarf in season one if we'd seen that in season one rather than it just being talked about, I suppose. Yeah, I, I suppose for me, this flashback scenes and the preceding scene in which we'll get to when she goes to what she does and then goes to Cockroach's apartment actually has degraded the integrity of the character that is Misty Knight for me. And actually what I found was because of this flashback scenes and Misty pretty much like that look on her face when Scarf comes out of the apartment or comes out of the bedroom with the gun. You can pretty much see that she probably had already checked there based on the look on her face. Then what she proceeds to do, which is basically steal evidence and with the intent of planting it, goes against what, in my head, Missy Knight's core kind of belief system is. She believes in the power of the law, of the justice system. So it kind of degrades to a degree in my head, the character slightly. I was like, I, and I know that's what they were trying to do, which is she's at this desperate point. And she's like, well, if Scarf did it, and then, like, it was fine, I can kind of do it too. Because she takes a hammer bullet, mm-hmm. which we know is a federal offense. Yeah. yeah. So that will automatically get him off the streets, get him out done. He's, he's done for. Mm-hmm. I know what they were trying to do. They were saying like she's at a moral crossroads. This could be yes. the thing that ends her career. But I'm like, but, uh, that kind of goes against the integrity in what my, my again, but, this is my opinion. 
Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I definitely understand what you're saying, but I, I didn't see a disconnect there because I think you're right. And I think that's why she ultimately looks to go and do it is because she is at that crossroads. It's in fact the same reason that Luke Cage was saying at the start of this season that if you did your job, I wouldn't have to. It is that idea that the police or she is feeling constrained about what she can do to bring justice. And it's this idea that she probably will leave or get thrown out of the police. And when confronted with the fact that the procedures she has to use as a police detective aren't being able to get this man, Cockroach, into prison, or at least in front of a judge. Yeah. She has now got an issue with that. And so it's almost like being a vigilante that Mm -hmm. she wants to do. And if she does ultimately become uh, a a daughter of the dragon or part of a a bigger Heroes for Hire collective, then that's what she will be. She will be a vigilante. Now, going about it, I would agree with you, Chris, by planting evidence is one thing um, and that does kind of go against it but I do think you know she is at a low ebb in terms of where she feels her places in the police uh, department and even though she has gotten this arm off off Danny Rand that doesn't mean to say that the last six months of not having an arm is suddenly washed under the bridge so I think it it seems out of character, but I think it's the idea that she's faced up to Cockroach so many times and he's throwing it back in her face. And she's like, what do I have to do to get him arrested? Well, not only that, he sent his own wife to hospital yet again because she let Misty into the house, because she let a cop into the house. It's what you kind of infer from them. But I think it's hugely important. I know you guys are, are saying that it's that it's odd that she would make this decision i think it is usually important here that she doesn't plant the evidence she makes the decision not to plant the evidence she opens up a drawer is about to put it in closes the drawer and puts it back in her pocket and then finds the body of cockroach she's made the decision not to plant it before she sees the body of cockroach she's about to walk back out of the apartment so she has a moment of weakness she has this idea in her head that that was she was going to do and then she finds cockroach's body so it's not set in stone that that's what she was going to do. She's been going through this as a plan based on the memories that she had of Scarf and based on how awful the life of Cockroach's wife has been, partly due to her fault. She thought Cockroach's wife was going to get away from it. And she's basically saying, I'm in here for life. Whenever he wants me, no matter what anybody does, I'll have to be here waiting for him for the rest of my life until he kills me. So she thought she was at the end of her tether. And she still didn't plant the evidence in the end. Fair. Fair. I will give you that. It was a compacted momentary lapse of judgment, mm-hmm. right? If they had to spread this over two episodes mm-hmm. where she's having this crisis of conscience, that makes sense. But they have. But you know, in the last episode, she, she cared about enough having to call probable cause. But it's a spur of the moment thing because mm-hmm. she's confronted him about Luke Cage and then she hears about him having beaten his wife so much that um, she's now in hospital. Plus, she was there in the previous episodes when Luke had obviously beaten up Cockroach. And she says, I see the pattern when I used to come to these um, these incidents as a beat cop. 
And then as I became a detective, I was going to the mortuary. So it has built up in that sense of her looking at um, Cockroach's wife and saying, you know, get out. But then there's also the moment that, you know, characters should be able to act impulsively on the basis of things, which is what she does here. This is an impulsive moment for her to, to do it. Um, but I think it's built up because of things that are going on, yeah. particularly with Cockroach's wife and also um, just in terms of what has been happening to her personally and professionally. Absolutely. It, How so. dare he bring a court case against Luke Cage for beating him up at home and then send his wife to hospital the next day. Like, how dare he do that in Misty's eyes? These are the things that are going on in her life. She has a view of both sides of this this guy and knows how bad he is. And that's kind of what the flashbacks with Scarf are telling her. Well, you know he killed somebody, so why don't we just frame him for something? And then he goes goes to prison. Uh, the reason why she obviously takes it back is because, well, that failed last time. So why should she plant evidence this time? It's obviously not going to hold up again. But I think we need to get on to our final bullet point because we have to talk about Mariah and the opening of the Family First Center. You don't need to be bulletproof to be a superhero. No, really, really good. Uh, enjoyed this. Um, mm -hmm. I loved all the, the pictures on the wall. I love the fact that she invites Tilda to come on board as kind of like the chief medical director mm -hmm. for, for the center. But Tilda really kind of steps back. But I, I think, um, Mariah has just a great speech here where she's speaking to Tilda, you know, saying that yes, Mama Mabel, she, she had hookers and, and the brothel. She was trafficking in, in, in people uh, and, and in sex. But across the full course or from, from her Aunt Mabel, before her, her mom, through to Mariah and so on, and now through to Tilda, that there is this growth. Isn't this the American way? That Absolutely. We, we've gone from this maybe seedy uh, past, but... Ultimately, it's to get to this place where it's not. And ultimately, at the end of it, it's about empowering people, empowering women in different ways at different times. I mean, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's at different times. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is that, that comment from Mariah, that actual statement from Mariah, where she says, why look at our dark past when we should be looking forward to our bright future? Um, that That's hugely important. This is absolutely Mariah's moment this is what she's been building up to to get herself out of the gruesome side of life that she's had all the way back from mama mabel uh, she's reinvesting the money that she has earned from this deal back into this center uh, to prove herself as a pillar of the community and yet it's hugely important to her i do think it's fascinating that tilda asks for all of the details from mariah of how they got to this point before she commits to working with her and then she does commit to working with her. Once again, a little bit of shadiness there from Tilda. Um, kind of this idea that she's that she is happy enough as long as she's in, as long as she's included, that she actually will go along with Mariah on this on this plan. And Mariah doesn't sugarcoat any of it. She specifically says we blackmailed this guy and we took his money and we got him to pay for the whole thing. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. I'm a hundred percent with you. Mm -hmm. This is another tick in the. Tilda is not what she seems. She is not as innocent Definitely. as we believe. Call you. Mm -hmm. um, I was like expecting her tell me everything and then she would disappear. She wouldn't like, that's it. I can't be involved with this. Yeah. The fact that we see her come back after all that, 
I'm like, okay, she she's a Dillard Stoke. She is... There is more to this character. And for what happens when she returns to the center... Oh, yeah. That, again, is another tick in my head. Like, she knew that was going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, I just do not trust this character. Sorry, just quickly, Chris. You mean when Mariah cuts the ribbon and there's the heads there? That Tilda knew that. Okay, okay. Because remember, we hypothesized in the last yeah. that she she could be working with Bushmaster. Okay. Like, it was just too convenient. I think she will either rise to be the new Black Mariah um, after. Like, she's not innocent. She is not the, I needed to escape my mother uh, because she's evil, uh, because of all the things that were happening. Only to, when her mother tells her all the evil things that actually are happening, she's like, all right, grand. I think I just see her as pretty similar to Mariah. Mariah was trying to get out and then was brought in by Mama Mabel and then became the woman she became. I kind of see her like that, that there is a darkness to her. She's not a complete innocent. I don't see her as already have committing crimes. I see it that Mariah is laying the path for her to become the next Black Mariah, as you say, Chris. I don't think that she's in on this moment, uh, this gruesome discovery at the end of the episode, uh, as that moment on opening night when Mariah has her full live press coverage so it doesn't get interrupted by Kemmel, she's there with her mother because that's exactly where she's supposed to be. Alex has set it all up. The announcement's going to be made. And then this gruesome moment where we have the three heads of the missing people that we saw throughout this episode. So will we get them right? Uh, uh, this is my guess, because we haven't obviously seen episode six yet, but, uh, but our guess here is that it's Ray Ray. Yeah, and then there is the Atrius Plastic CEO, uh, Mike Higgins. Mm-hmm. And the third head? Is Cockroach. Yes, yes. So basically they are taking, they, they're taking down all the additional aspects of the Stokes underworld, mm-hmm. of the Mariah's underworld. And planting them right there on live TV for the launch of Mariah's new center. Yeah, whilst at the same time, obviously trying to kidnap the guy, the one guy who has power of attorney over the money that has just been made or allegedly made uh, from this deal between exactly. Glen Industries and Atrius. Yeah, yeah. Cool plan. Yeah, it was great. It's how do you take down the the dark side and the light side of Mariah in one fell swoop? Mm-hmm. The stylers, the yardies love beheading. I think it's the signature move, really, isn't it? Yeah. Nigel, Cockroach, the CEO, and Ray Ray, all gone. Mm-hmm. Plus, we have other missing people. I, I believe there was another, someone else as well, outside of Ray Ray. I think uh, there's someone missing. Um, I think I'll need to check that. I think it was just the Yardies who'd gone to who'd gone to ground. They'd just gone and they had disappeared and it was mentioned. I think it was that. Okay, could be that. But then, so literally in full one fell sweep, they've just taken out that dark side. And so they've taken out the Atreus deal. Mm-hmm. They took out Atreus because he pushed the board to allow the stocks. So potentially rescinding, blah, blah, blah. You've got Cockroach who was, actually, no, that doesn't make sense. Why was Cockroach? He was another head of another gang. Yeah. But he's not connected. So to begin with, it was Nigel, um, it was the Furniture King, and it was Cockroach. Yeah. They were the three. Bushmaster takes over from Nigel. Yeah, Ray gets killed by Shades. And then ultimately, Cockroach is this third challenger within Harlem. And so he's taken out. The Yardies were the Yardies. Nigel was the Yardies. 
um, Cockroach was the up and comer, mm-hmm. and El Toro was the heroin king of the the Latin American guy. Mm-hmm. So the Yardies got the gun business, which the, Mariah was trying to sell yeah. to these other rival gangs, and the heroin team is no more because their head has been killed. Well, so was this, as you say, just a getting someone else who was the head of a up and coming gang? Yeah. Or okay, because I took it was like. Well, he's not totally connected to Mariah, so why did that? Because he didn't, the transaction, he was more like, I want to be partner. I think it all comes back to Bushmaster saying that she's the queen of Harlem, Luke Cage is the heart of Harlem, and then these are all the other challengers. These are all the other people that are left that could challenge him if he does take power in Harlem. He wants all of Harlem. He doesn't want to have Harlem with a gang that controls heroin, a gang that controls guns, and another gang over here that controls prostitution. He wants to control all of Harlem, no challengers, it's his birthright. So this is the message he's sending. He owns it all, and he's walking away. And I think one of them said, so that they can focus on, you know, going after the Russians or the Koreans and the, the different gangs in, in, in New York. So again, I think there's an element where they're trying to consolidate yeah. their power and what they effectively buy and sell on the on the black market. Exactly, exactly. As we were discussing it, it just came into my head. Right. So, gentlemen, I think that is all our bullet points. Yes. It was a great scene. It's great to see Mariah kind of setting up uh, her family first center. Um, yeah, fine. definitely. But I think on to the notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, has anyone got any notes? I think really the Easter eggs for season one of Luke Cage are all over Piranha's <laughs> office here, aren't they? The, uh, the jumpsuit, which Luke says isn't actually real, the color's wrong, it's not a real Seagate jumpsuit. Fake. <laughs> but a lot of the other stuff that's in there we see is from season one, some of the things he bent and, and broke through season one. We have a burst punching bag, we have a gun that he's broken in half, we have some bullets that were shot at him, uh, all that stuff. That's all just references and little Easter eggs, if you remember them from the previous episodes of, uh, of season one. I like that. God bless eBay, apparently. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, Atrius Plastics, Glen Industries have been pretty prevalent in this opening few episodes of of Luke Cage, mm-hmm. and they have their star in the 1980s Daredevil comics. Yeah. Um, Glen Industries, which is actually an alias of Atreus, was in issue 165, uh, but... Interestingly, in issue 184 was Atreus, which was the No More Mr. Nice Guy with Daredevil with a Gun, which was uh, a front cover uh, of a comic written by Frank Miller. So Frank Miller effectively bringing in Atreus. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah I think we had uh, Glenn Industries are back from the 19, from 1980, and two years later, Atreus Plastics came along. Um they they made some plastic explosives, so that's where they came from in the Marvel universe. But yeah, really cool that they've that they've brought these two companies in, and one subsumes the other effectively uh, after four episodes of this show. It's quite cool. Uh, we did yep. also see Atrius Plastics back in Daredevil. Um, there was a truck that was driven trying to save Kingpin at the end of season one. That was an Atrius Plastics truck. Yes. So um, so yeah. So we have seen them. They ha- they have existed in the world before as well. So. Yeah, and I like the fact that like that they they're using the hammer logo. We see the hammer logo in this one as well. Obviously, they cannot get Hammer himself to come into this Netflix. So I like that they are using some of the 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 other ones, the Roxums in the subsidiaries, the yeah. the, the the other evil corporations. Mm, I like that. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, Roxon is having fun down in New Orleans at the moment over in, uh, on Cloak and Dagger, so they're not going to be in uh, in this season of, uh, of the Netflix shows, I think, at the moment. Now, Derek, mm-hmm. riddle me this, music maestro. Yes. That was Ghostface Killer. Yes, it was, yeah. And they talked about Method Man, who appeared in season one of, uh, of Luke Cage. He was the guy that Luke hero worshipped in the shop back in uh, I think episode yes. 7 or episode 8 of, uh, of Luke Cage season 1 um, so yeah that's just again showing the wonderful hip hop knowledge of Foggy Nelson I kind of feel even more than I ever felt that Foggy Nelson is more me than any of you guys <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, I think I can never make a claim to be Matt Murdock anymore I'm definitely Foggy Nelson and the song uh, yeah, the song was the Sure Shot, a song that he did uh, a couple of years ago, but it does have a line in it about a black superhero like Luke Cage. So I think it's it's just a little reference there, like that Luke Cage says, he wrote this one about me, which I think is connected to him writing it about the comic book Luke Cage, but not obviously about the TV show Luke Cage. The song was written before uh, the series premiered in the first place. Uh, we will get a lot more musical appearances later on in the season and some brand new original tracks but this was just a live version of sure shot that we saw in this episode cool sound though yep 100 percent. thank you music maestro <laughs> gentlemen is that all of our uh, notes for this episode yes i think it is so with that onto the defense derek do you defend episode five of luke cage all sold out I absolutely defend this episode. I thought this episode was great fun. Really enjoyed it. There's lots of really good fun moments. I mentioned it during the episode. I think it's important that we see these types of episodes for Luke Cage because we're going to start to bridge him in with a character like Iron Fist, Danny Rand, in future. He can't always be serious all the time. He has to have a bit of fun at times. Uh, in the past, in the comic books, his idea of being the hero for hire it doesn't always work out. He also has to be a hero as well. He doesn't just take payment and, and get things done. Sometimes that payment falls through. Sometimes he has to do things that he wasn't expecting to do for that payment. So I like that they play on that and have a bit of fun within this episode. I think that's the core of the episode. Um, but there is some other cool stuff, some gruesome stuff in there, some dark discussions there. Misty's storyline is quite dark with uh, with Cockroach's wife. Um, this idea that she feels like she's on an endless tread- treadmill of being beaten up, he goes to prison, comes back out, beats her up again, and eventually she'll die. It's a really dark storyline, so I'm also glad that it was surrounded by some humorous moments as well. Just a bit of levity, uh, I thought was important. Chris, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? Yes, I do defend this episode. Um, Jen says, I'm kind of still in this. This, for me, is really really good it's ranking up there in the top three mm-hmm. now uh of kind of all the seasons that we've seen so far um i am still cautiously optimistic i'm not going to run out of steam but so early but they are running a lot of the storyline we're in episode five and things are already starting to wrap up to a degree like mariah's takedown is two episodes away or less potentially next episode i want to know where they are going with this and that's driving me into the next episode mm-hmm. driving me I'm like i love what you're doing i was not happy with what i understand where you guys are saying but i still was not too happy with uh, i think it's just an internal thing with the misty piece so i was a bit like yeah but after discussing with you that has softened my disheartment if you will hey that's what we're here for exactly that is what this is this podcast is therapy for me on some of the tv shows where i'm like i didn't like that oh no actually i do now (laughs) so yes i do defend this episode 
I just think that we need to see where they are going. This is either going to be one of the best seasons uh-huh. of T- ne- Marvel Netflix TV, or after episode seven, it could disintegrate. I want to see how it goes. And on that bombshell disintegration, John, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage all sold out? I do defend this episode of Luke Cage season two all sold out. I'd give this 3.5 cocktail heads out of five. (laughs) Um, Cocktail heads. I like it. Yeah. You just need a little wedge of cheese and a bit of pineapple in between (laughs) and you've Got the party buffet for the opening of uh, the Family First Center. <laughs> what about the grapes? It's all about the grapes. It's wow. ham and pineapple. Ham and pineapple, Chris. The head is the grape. It's the metaphorical grape. Nice. Ah, right. You see? Thank you. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this episode. Again, I think it's really strong start to this season. I really enjoyed the Luke and Piranha interaction. I thought it was real uh, fun, as Derek has said. I, th- I think it was light. It, it brought a lightness. And I think with what we've had, uh, certainly with Luke, you know, suddenly being left all alone, um, it was nice for him to have this distraction um, and ultimately lead to being a hero for hire in, in the defense of Piranha. Um, because, wow, Piranha has to pay for it uh, given that he treated Luke uh, like a pet oh, yeah. I, I but I really enjoyed that moment I thought Luke and Foggy it was really really good and I again I loved Misty's storyline in here you know confronted with Cockroach and she's been battling with him back and forth over a number of the episodes now you know in the hospital bed previously and of course with the the connection back to the flashbacks of, of Scarf and what he was doing and whether she felt complicit, you know, he was a dirty cop and she starts to think about using his methods in order to get justice for Luke, for Cockroach's wife, who's now in hospital. So I, I thought that battle uh, with herself was, was really, really good. And that sort of reflection back to her time with Scarf, I thought that was really, really good. I love the fact she got her new robotic arm as well. I really, really enjoyed that. And I think that's a, a moment that she absolutely had to have. It is a shame it looked a little cheap for, for me, but I am hoping and hopeful that it is a early prototype uh, and Danny Rand, a.k.a. Marvel Netflix, will spend a whopping amount of money to provide a nice, big, shiny, gold, pimped-up robotic arm for Misty, like in the comics. And, of course, that ending with the heads on the spikes, fab. Um, We all like a good head on the spike mm-hmm. uh, game of thrones did them so well so. very game of thronesy <laughs> very horrible histories uh fantastic so yeah absolutely defend this episode of luke cage nice if anyone from marvel netflix is listening and you want to know who to go to to do an awesome misty knight arm cosa fx do all of the effects for gotham and for agents of shield they have a couple of things on file that might be useful to you Good stuff. Thanks so much, John. I think we need to get on to our feedback for this episode. As we mentioned earlier on, if you want to 
send us any voicemail at all with your thoughts about this season of Luke Cage, just go over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can click on the send voicemail button and record your thoughts about the episode. Or you can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. I've seen a few in the queue for upcoming episodes uh, for some feedback for later episodes. Thankfully, the writer of those emails has written the number of the episodes that they're talking about. So uh, I haven't read them yet because we haven't seen those episodes. So if you're sending in feedback, make sure you mark it with the episode you're talking about so I don't accidentally read it. Yes, absolutely. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, don't forget, you can also come over to our Facebook group, uh, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast, where we have a spoiler post for every episode where we look for your feedback, much like Alex Anderson did where he said, the hero is for hire. Love this episode, especially the end, having Luke being led around the party as Piranha plaything was fun. I also love seeing Foggy again and the secret love for hip-hop. Plus Shades stepping in to help Luke out was a nice twist. Can't wait to see where this goes. I've been finding myself anxiously awaiting Danny's arrival every time Luke is at Pops and someone opens the door. I feel it's like the writers have been toying with those of us who are waiting the team up, but I'm fine with it. (laughs) I will say, I'm not going to spoil it at all, but I will say the first spoiler I received on this show was when Danny Rand appeared in Luke Cage. I know exactly when he appears. I heard about it back in February of this year from the director of the show because she mistakenly put it on Twitter, what episode she was directing. Um, So I know exactly when Danny Rand appears. So I'm in a really lucky position that I know it's not this early in the season. So I'm not expecting him to walk in through the door at any time. So I feel quite privileged in that. I know that they've had lots of mentions of him, but it really does feel like I'm, I have that weight lifted off my shoulders to not expect him this early in the show. So, so that's, that's cool. I'm very happy with that. Yes, my uh, English namesake, Fing Jones, ruined it for me. Oh, really? <laughs> Whereas I, like Alex, I am in blissful ignorance as to when <laughs> it's going to happen. But I always knew it, it was because of these rand little clues all the way through. That he's going to appear, yeah. yeah. I, like, I like Alex's thoughts that Shade could step back in in future alongside Luke because he stepped in here to help him out. They were able to put their differences aside once. Maybe they'll put their differences aside again later on in the, in the series. It's, it might be interesting. Yeah, it's definitely my enemy's enemy is my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've, we've heard this already from Bushmaster. Yeah. So there's a lot of potential for cross-alliances here, uh, depending on how it goes. So thank you so much, Alex, for your feedback. Yes, thank you, Alex. Speaking of feedback, guys, we also got some additional feedback. Yeah, we got some follow-up feedback from Jamie Young. She says, just to clarify, I absolutely agree that Claire was justified in wanting space from Luke after what he did to Cockroach and the wall. I would have kicked him out too. It just feels like she didn't have anything to do anymore now that she's brought the Defenders together. I mean, she didn't just kick Luke out. She left the country. She doesn't have a job and lives in her mom's apartment. New York isn't the kind of place you can survive without a job for very long. <laughs> Very true, Jamie. Yeah, uh, I think we're in agreement. Yeah, I think kicking kicking a Luke out was um, was kind of a big choice and the right thing to do given the situation. But as far as a character arc goes, as we mentioned on the episode, I think it's it seems like that could be a good ending for Claire. Yeah, definitely. I think um, one of her big things was to get the defenders together. It would be really nice to see Claire in with Colleen, in with Misty. Uh, certainly now that. Her and and Luke obviously have come to this impasse, uh, but I suppose we just need to see what happens. You know, hopefully, 
Uh, fingers crossed she will be back before the end of the season. Yeah, and hopefully see her back with the other ladies of the shows, maybe with uh, the Daughter of the Dragon with Misty Knight and with Colleen Wing, perhaps. Uh, they are good friends, after all. That's uh, She has been training with Colleen before, but uh, we will see. We'll see. Yeah, and we received some more feedback on episode five. Uh, Claire Payne over on Facebook says, when Luke walked into the Hall of Fame office dedicated to him, I did laugh because my office at home is pretty much dedicated to Gotham. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. Yes, absolutely. I think Piranha is a super fan uh, of Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, very much like yourself, we are super fans of Gotham as well. Yes. Um, so keep up the good souvenir collection uh, and memorabilia for sure absolutely clear yep um another piece of feedback on episode five was from robert phillips he says the whole foggy in the court scene fantastic the double layer of the styrofoam table comment it's a bit of a side swipe a black lightning perhaps and the least believable moment in the entire show so far foggy as a hip-hop aficionado <laughs> are you saying that black lightning's slightly cheap Robert. <laughs> I love Black Lightning this season. It was good fun and probably a little bit more of a CW budget than the Netflix budget for these shows, I suppose. Yeah, Styrofoam formed uh, an integral part of my childhood, so I'm always a big fan of Styrofoam. Ah, Doctor Who, of course. Exactly. Yes, yes. Uh, Jamie Young says, Fun fact, the actor who plays Cockroach is Simone Missick's real-life husband, Dorian. Oh, yes. I can only imagine how much fun they had filming their scenes together. I somehow managed to forget Foggy is Luke's attorney, so it never occurred to me that he could have a part in this season. That was a fun surprise. Luke breaking the conference table was so funny. I love Mariah's monologue to Tilda in the clinic. So much raw passion to truly do something good for Harlem while also owning and even defending her family's nefarious legacy. I was quite shocked by the heads on spikes. Bushmaster isn't playing around. Absolutely, he certainly is not. And I wonder if Simone had uh, a little sort of jump at the heart when she sees her decapitated husband. (laughs) Or at least a mannequin uh, that looks like her husband. I presume they didn't actually kill Dorian for this season. No, I'm sure they didn't. (laughs) But yeah, she threw down some real trash talk and he did back to her. So maybe this was really cathartic for the two of them, you know? (laughs) Maybe Um, a really good catch, Jamie. I actually remembered that... After recording our episode, I remembered that that was her husband because I'd seen it quite early on and then completely forgot to say it in the podcast. So thanks so much for remembering to put that over to us and feedback. Again, if any of our fellow defenders see anything that we may not have mentioned in an episode, please let us know because we do miss little bits and pieces here and there. So thank you so much for all the feedback. It is, as always, very much appreciated. It is great. Everyone joining in. Uh, discussing, commenting. Uh, So please head on over to any of the platforms where you can join us and discuss with the community on Defenders TV podcast. And of course, uh, as Mariah Dillard said, share the love and share the podcast. Well, she didn't quite say that last bit, but we're available on any bulletproof or bullet riddled podcast app. Yes. Thank you so much. We'll be back with our review of Luke Cage Season 2, Episode 6, The Basement. Don't know why I did that inflection. It says I see base, I want to go low. That'll be on Friday. But guys, don't forget, every Tuesday and Friday, every week, we release podcasts for you to listen to. So just remember to follow us, and one of us will tell you when the latest episode is up and out, uh, available for you to download. Thank you so much again for all your feedback. Thank you for being 
the fellow defenders, the support you give us, the conversations that you give us. Keep it coming because without you guys, we'd literally be talking to each other. Mm -hmm. I love talking to you guys, though. And I love talking to the fellow defenders. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, as always, fellow defenders, thank you so much for listening. And we'll speak with you again next time. Bye. (laughs) What's up, folks?